The 5-8, your Friday night hang. We take five of the week's most notable and newsworthy topics and spend eight minutes covering each one. Join me, Greg Oliar, and LB, Stephanie Koff, Friday nights, live, 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern. It's the 5-8. Here's what went down on Friday. Welcome to the 5-8. We take five of the week's most fucked up topics and discuss them for eight minutes each. Five topics, eight minutes, two hosts, one guest, some singing, a lot of curse words, and as many cocktails as we deem necessary. LB, how are you? I forgot my drink. Oh, no. No. I'm going to have to get it during the break. It looks like you forgot a lot of other things. Uh, um, are you okay? Do you need us to rescue you? <laughs> yeah. I need some rescuing. Thank God for lipstick. Um, I'm sorry, guys. Like just a minute ago, the light was perfect and now it's moved down. I'm in front of a window. Um, I'm in an empty house. As you can see, the movers are actually here right now. Uh, so you might hear some banging and moving around. Oh. <sighs> Above and beyond, you get you get the gold star because we don't want to disappoint the many people watching today that, that waited patiently a whole week for us. And you here you are uh, on a very stressful day uh, joining us uh, from an empty house without any curtains. It's good. I know. Did you hear that? That bang no. bang? That's I Aloe. Let's see if Aloe opens the door and comes in. Okay. We don't know. Aloe is LB's dog. So, you know, here, people, she comes. here she comes. Here she comes. Uh, okay, we're off to a good start. We're off to, we're off to a good start. Oh, that's her tail on the fan. Okay. It's exciting. Okay. All right, you're in the um, camera. So I thought we'd open real quick with a little game because I know you've had a hard day and I wanted to add some levity here. Okay. Um, okay. And maybe the people watching, our, our beloved audience, can play this game as well. Um, okay. This game is called Cage Match. And I just made it up um, five minutes ago, maybe 10. Okay. So um, here's the thing. As, as we know, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg are going to fight apparently in some sort of cage match. Yes. I don't really know what a cage match is. I think I think that both people are allowed to survive, I guess, unfortunately. But that's apparently what it is. They're going to box or something, I would say, for charity. But I don't think it's for any reason other than to feed their own ridiculous egos. But... In our game called Cage Match, I'm going to give you uh, two contestants in a cage match, and I want your thoughts on who you think would win. Okay. Okay. That's the game. Okay. Just we're gonna... just you know, okay. Anybody, anything goes, right? Any kind of. You're locked anything. in a cage, you know, like and Bond with Odd Job at the end of Goldfinger. Okay. Yeah. Then bring whatever. Okay. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number one, Junior Don Junior versus Eric Trump. Oh, Junior wins. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Eric it, could just, just sit on him, but no, he's crazy. He's crazy. He'll be like, <sighs> he's like a little yeah. Tasmanian, you know, you know, he's crazy. He wins. I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Ted Cruz versus Josh Hawley. I mean, I feel like what would happen was Ted Cruz would have a lot of really bad gas and Josh Hawley would just pass out. So I'm going to give that one to Ted Cruz because Josh Hawley doesn't have, he's just so, 
a feminine. I well no, but the <laughs> what you're forgetting though is that Josh Hawley, much like the scene in the life of Brian, would just run until Ted Cruz got so tired from chasing him that he would collapse. I think I that's what happened. Ted, I think Cruz would gas him out. Sorry. Okay. I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene versus Lauren Boebert. I think this one really happened, but what what do you think? Oh, that goes to Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's like junior. She's crazy. She'll do it. She'll bring her backpack with her bomb in it. That's it. It's over. It's over for Boebert. Okay. Uh, Rudy Giuliani versus John Eastman. Eastman. Yeah, I think so too. But I I, I'm not allowed to say. I'm going to plead the fifth. I'm going to plead the fifth on this one. Oh yeah, fifth. Fifth. Um, for for our guest waiting backstage, we have a rule that whenever we mention the fifth, everybody has to drink. That's that's our yeah, rule. Yeah, except I don't have. Oh, I have water. Okay. I have Good. Okay, and last but not least, RFK Jr. versus that QAnon guy who thinks he's JFK Jr. I'm going to give it to the QAnon guy. Because he's because crazy? Because they're both ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But they want us to take them seriously. And mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna go with the guy that survived flying his plane upside down into the, into the, uh, into the ocean <laughs> over, over RFK, who, who's, you know, I don't know. But he's pretty, he's all, the one person that's had a lot of vaccines is probably RFK. I think that's all just a hyped out, hyped out joke. I don't know. That guy, I, I, can't, I can't with that guy. I just, yeah. he's going to lose. I'm going to make yeah. it. I'll come in. I'll come in. I'll tap in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like I like the sound of that. Okay, that's our game. It's called Cage Match. We'll okay. probably never play it again. Uh, just yeah. to get everybody warmed up. You know, everybody warmed up. There's a lot of a lot of things happened. Uh, I've forgotten about most of them. I forgot everything that happened last week, I so I, I know. I don't know what happened. I really don't, guys. I like I disagree. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let me get. Let's my, get into uh, it. We yeah. yeah we have my, we have a great guest, and he's going to come and talk, and then um, it's going to be good yeah. at that point. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Hang on. Let me go back. Set my timer. Okay. Let's we still go. have the timer. It's the one thing you have left in this house of emptiness. I got my phone. Okay. Oh, let's good. go. Okay. Are we on? We're on. We're time, it's, it's, the time is ticking. Okay. Victors and villains is, is the first, uh, is the first subject uh, and topic today. So, okay. We have Joe Biden right now. Who's done a lot of like really good shit. And this is the week he's like rolling out stuff because lots of good things are happening because of policies that he put in place. And what's anybody, everybody talking about this week? Not that stuff, right? It's just not that way. Because we have the Supreme Court shit that we're going to talk about later. Trump did bad things. Uh, there's there's so many things going on that these amazing accomplishments that Biden Harris have have rolled out. People are just like, yeah, whatever. And instead of giving him credit for all the many things that he's accomplished, people are giving him shit about student loan debt being, you know, may, the Supreme Court saying no, no, no. Although per Adam Schiff, there's a workaround, and people are going to get their their debt in some way. But uh, people are giving Biden shit like this is his fault, right? Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Are you just no, coming I was going to say, are we sure that it's really as um, impactful as the noise? It does feel to me to be the, a lot of that is manufactured noise or jumped on noise and bandwagon noise. Um, 
I'm not sure how many people are actually tuned into the whole, oh, we're not going to get la, 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 la. I, I don't know. I, that, feels, that feels like a lot of chatter to me, a lot of loud banging of the pots and pans. You I mean the have, student loan thing specifically? Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. It does. It feels there like does seem to be a lot of weaponization of that by the yeah, horseshoe left, yeah. for sure. And it, yeah. It's also in its lane on on Twitter and social media, and I've chosen to be out of that lane, and I don't hear it anywhere else. But, you know, so that could. That's just, good. I'm a lot lately. So. The other yeah. thing that happens is. Yeah. Uh, Republicans vote against these things, then they get rolled out, and then the Republicans are like, "Isn't this great? What I just did, like Tommy Tuberville did." with the broadband in Alabama. Isn't it wonderful that Al broadband's coming to Alabama? Dude, you voted against it. You, you thought this was a bad idea. And now you're saying, and, and the people that he's talking to, his voters are, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, not smart enough to know that he's lying to them because they weren't smart enough to know that he was lying to them when they voted for him, right? So, you know, this is a problem. Well, they're, also, they're also not, they're in their bubble. We still have these bubbles. Um, I liked what uh, Biden did by calling him out in mm -hmm. a speech. Um, it's not something I think that would ever, it's like people coming in and out of here. It's not something that I would think would ever uh, get picked up inside that bubble. I think they would kind of yeah. probably leave that sound bite out. But it did, that did make the rounds and people were talking about it in on the socials. So hopefully that pierced the bubble. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what now this brings us to the point here of my little, of my little, you know, furtive ranting. Um, there's a piece by uh, Micah L. Sifri that my friend sent me where he's quoting something else. I want to read from this and I want to get your, your take on it because I think this is an interesting idea. Um, and if people haven't heard this, um, this is what it is. And I'm, now this is I'm reading. OK, the Biden administration is embarking on a big push to convince Americans that its major legislative accomplishments are changing their lives for the better. But while they're investing in America, three week barnstorm will have lots of ribbon cutting style events it's questionable how much of an impact this will have on public opinion. As Deepak Bhargava, Sharzad Shams, and Harry Hanbury write in Democracy Journal, in the death of deliverism, that's the name of the article, it's time we took seriously the possibility that working class Americans of all colors are so profoundly disillusioned, they can't believe it when government does something good for them. Yeah. Okay? Uh, and he gives examples of this, and then... It's long been an article of faith among liberals and leftists, they write, that if you deliver for the people, specifically if you deliver economic improvements in people's lives through policy, these changes will solidify or shift people's political allegiances. However, progressive economic policies do not necessarily lead to the political outcomes that deliverism predicts they should, and deliverism is proving ineffectual as a response to authoritarianism. People are fully capable of supporting or ignoring progressive economic policies while voting for authoritarians. What should progressives do? Start by abandoning the assumption that technocratic solutions will be enough and take identity, emotion, and storytelling that names clear villains a lot more seriously. Stories without villains make no sense to anyone, the authors write. The mainstream Democratic Party's tendency to avoid naming corporations as bad actors whether pharmaceutical companies or big banks, is politically disastrous. They need villains, LB. They need stories about villains. Any villains come to mind? What do you think about that? I think we've been saying this for seven fucking years. We have. We have been saying this <laughs> forever. You cannot 
policy wonk your way out of uh, an authoritarian uh, narrative that's sweeping people and radicalizing them. You can't, and, and this, this lust for a strong man that is happening now here um, in response to a, a couple of things, right? A couple of, I think very specifically, you know, we had the white lash to Obama and then, oh my God, how dare that woman try to go for the presidency. So that there's a, and uh, the people who are pushing that narrative and have always been pushing that narrative on the side of the strong man of the, of the authoritarian bent, what we keep calling out of this sort of fascistic stuff that's happening here. And some of it straight up, you know, it's not even cloaked. It's not even, you know, kind of, sort of, or it's, you know, um, we've got laboratories of states from Texas to, to Florida for an American version of authoritarianism, right? Those are labs. They're cooking it up. They're coming up with the state laws and then floating it up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's coming back down and giving them more and more power to have this, these, uh, you know, their own policies that people like because they're based on hatred. Yeah, the, the, that their audience likes that. They want the villain. They want to feel like they're great. They're the good guys, you're the bad guys, us, them, they. You always listen to their propaganda channels and it's they, 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 they. I don't think any of those hosts can get through, oh, I would say in less than two minutes, there's no way they could make it for, for 120 seconds without using the word they. They want you to do this and they want you to do that. It's very effective, it works, and it does become policy, it does. And then it, it, it takes away, all, starts stripping all of our rights. So they do the villainiz villainization first and the policy second. Yep. They capture the narrative first with the storytelling, with coming up with these lanes and these roles for people so everybody can feel great about themselves and point a finger at somebody else. And it works. I'm not saying we have to otherwise, but we need to have a, some kind of narrative, some kind of story, some kind of way of talking about who we are as a people and what we want for our nation. It can't just be Joe saying the same three lines over and over again. It needs to come from the entire party. We've been constantly floating semantics there for seven years. Just grab onto the stuff that, and villainizing, in, inside of that, villainizing the real villains. Trump yeah. was an, a, a business front for organized crime. Start talking about that. We can't deny that and then follow it with the policies of, and this is what we're going to do about it. This is what we're going to do to keep advancing progressive beliefs. But you cannot just do that and expect people to fucking figure it out. They're not, they're not paying attention to that. They're not, and they never will. They never will. And it's also so ignorant to do that for the party to continue to not start casting these roles and figuring out the semantics so ignorant of them to do that and think, oh, we'll just make people's lives better. And then of course they'll thank us of the kinds of semantics and weaponization and radicalization that has been going on for decades against the government itself. Yeah. Which is what that article was saying. Against like, it's all like, oh, the government, don't trust the federal government, the federal government, whatever. No, look right. at what they're, we're going to destroy the administrative state and deconstruct it and get rid of it. We're going to, now we're hearing from Ron DeSantis and these other people. We're going to, this Rick Perry shit from way back when that everyone laughed at. We're going to get rid of the EPA. We're going to get rid of education, Department of Education. We're going to get rid of all of these things, right? Because we have to get rid of the government. 
and then they complain, right? Yep. When they when they when the roads are broken, whatever. Yeah. 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 They do. So they I do. have a lot to say about all of that. I'm sorry. I don't think that was too secure. Too, too secure. Too, oh, I can't even talk. Circuitous. Circuitous. Okay, let's go to the next thing, which is just going to be piggybacking on this first thing anyway. Yeah, let's do it. Go for okay. it. Um, yeah, it was good. I knew you would like, I knew you would respond to that. Okay, um, good. You need to do one for me because I didn't have time for any prep. <laughs> yeah, well, you played volleyball. I'm I'm setting you up here. That's what you I'm doing. Setting you up beautifully. I'm setting you up to spike the ball. Okay, that's that's what we're doing. Okay, um, let's sum it up. So Dems, Biden, I think it, people, what, go ahead. Let's sum it up. Dems, get your shit together. Get your semantics together. Get your narrative together. Start using your words. Yeah. Okay. And Biden is good at this, by the way. And people are pointing this out in the comments, and it's true. Biden is good at this, and he does yeah. do it. He smacked Tuberville down this week, which was fantastic. But it has to be the whole party. It's the senators are just out to lunch a lot of the time. I feel like, okay, villains. Speaking of villains, Leonard yeah. Leo, the captured. Oh. Okay. I wrote okay. the first of a piece on Leonard Leo on Tuesday, trying to do one of my man in the middle. It got so unwieldy, I had to break it into two. And uh, this guy has so many connections all over the place. Um, I'm going to talk about the religious stuff and the right wing billionaires uh, th this coming week. But he has undergone this entire process where he's remade the court over the course of three decades. He's pushed his people in there and now he's got what he wants. He got his fascists on the court. That's what he has. So, like, I wanted to talk. We have to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court rulings, which all of them sucked frankly, even the one that everyone thought was okay actually also sucked. That's number five we're going to talk about later. But um, I don't think we need to go into the the, 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 in, the weeds of that here. We're not lawyers. Let the law experts parse this stuff out. My over, overarching take on this is, uh, duh, of course, that's what they fucking did. These are fascists. They're just doing whatever Leonard Leo wants is what they're doing, right? Leonard Leo doesn't like gay people. What do you know? They find some woman who, who is a web designer and won't. It's not even a real thing that happened that they have to be the arbiters of. It's complete bullshit. But Leonard Leo doesn't like gays. So we have to have a ruling against gays. Leonard Leo doesn't like abortion. So we have to have Dobbs, you know, overruled. Leonard Leo doesn't like abortion. So soon, coming soon, we're going to have no more abortion pills anywhere in the country. Uh, Leonard Leo doesn't like women. So affirmative action has to go. Yeah, and on and on it goes. And Leonard Leo doesn't like the fact that Leonard Leo doesn't get what he wants. And therefore, they're going to fuck up the voting system so badly that we're not going to have any say anymore. And we're going to wind up like Hungary where we're just going to vote and it's not going to matter because Leonard Leo controls all the shit. See what I just did there? I named the villain. And we can. Yeah, I know the writers are on strike, but if we gathered them all and came up with a villain name for this guy, you would not be able to come up with a better villain name than Leonard Leo for this guy. Sure, sure. I hadn't thought about it that way, but he, he looks like a that. he looks like the fucking penguin. His he name does. is Leonard Leo. That's a detective comics Bill Finger name. Okay. He's a fucking villain. He's a villain. Talk about how he's a villain. If you don't like all the stuff that happened this week, he's the guy responsible. The he set up the system and the architecture and made this possible. That's who done it shine a light on that motherfucker and show everybody what he's doing. He he names these guys, rams them in there, pairs them off with a billionaire to pay for every goddamn thing they can imagine. 
And yeah, the hypocrisy that everybody is pointing out. Yes, of course, it's hypocritical. Clarence Thomas, no one shall have affirmative action. Clarence Thomas said that? Brett Kavanaugh, you will not have your debts forgiven. Brett Kavanaugh said that? Yeah. Amy Coney Barrett, oh, affirmative action is bad. You, a woman said, what are you talking about? You know, the hypocrisy is maddening. That's part of the problem. It gets everybody outraged. But the real outrage has to go towards the system itself. And the best way to to fix this particular system is expand the fucking court, okay? Sheldon Whitehouse told me on my show, there is no popular support for this. That's what he said. Why aren't we doing it? Because nobody wants it. That's what we want. That there, three fucking words. It fits on a goddamn bumper sticker, Democrats. Expand the court. Biden, say, I will expand the court if you reelect me. We will expand the court. That should be yeah. the fucking mantra of the goddamn party from now until 2020 fucking four. I'm done. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, yes. I think it was. Uh, but let's let's backtrack a little bit. First of all, kudos to you for not just naming the villain, but framing it in such a way that everyone can get, be outraged at the system, the web, the integrity, the lack of integrity in the system itself, right? It's like, God, we're all held hostage by just one unfuckable dude, right? It's like, you know, that can't be, right? So that kind of framing is what exactly how to do it. So it's like, it's this one man and what he likes and he doesn't like in his little prissy life versus all of us, you know, women having autonomy over over our bodies. That that's not a hard fight to pick a side on. Um, so yeah, I kudos to you for that. And the other thing I would say is I remember Biden talking in as part of it. They did he did run on this um, in 2020. It was like we need to look at reforms. We're going to have a committee together. We're going to put everybody together and see what we can do, what we can't do. Blah 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 blah, blah about fixing the court because there's corruption in there. And then it got dropped. But it did. That, that got a lot of votes. People showed up for that. We were outraged. That's, what, that's why they're going to show up. Exactly. We were outraged at Amy Cohen Barrett getting crammed through at the last minute, which is why there was talk about that at the time, because there seemed like there was something so there was something so wrong about all of that. that and, so, and Mitch McConnell just being so craven and weird. That, but you don't have to wait for that. We're still, this is, we're, we're in the throes of this. We're, we're feeling it more than ever before. I think my first fucking thing was expand the fucking court, right? Like, so you and I have been, you know, all caps tweeting that um, for, for a couple of years now, since, since Coney Barrett got crammed through. So, I, you know, I was very disheartened when, when I heard Sean Whitehouse say that on your podcast. It really yeah. knocked me out because I was like, what? This is all of a sudden gone? Because we all fought for this. We voted for this. We wanted this. And there's something kind of, there's something just weak. There's a weakness um, that goes with that first topic of like, well, we're just going to policy our way out of this or we're going to yeah. make those people just see there's a cowardice in there. There's a, 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 a fear. It's not wisdom. It's fear. And there's some wisdom mixed in there. We need to sort of figure out a way to separate, I think, the wisdom and the fear. Um, so it's like, yes, we know what we can do and what works and what our limitations are and what we have to do when we're in reality. 
but also we know what moment we're in. We know what moment we're facing, and we're going to face it fearlessly, and we're going to try some new things, as you used to say, every single week. Try something, anything, just yeah. try. Try something, yes. Chance, do something. If Tuberville is gone and the, you know, and he's can't, he's not there for a vote, then pass a vote. Like wait for wait for people to go on vacations. Who cares? Take advantage of the moment, seize it, and push yeah. what you can through. Um, I think I think we got to get past the fear. I don't think it's about bringing um, you know a butter knife to a, a to an AR-15 fight. <laughs> right. I think it. I think it's just about not wanting to fight. Um, yeah. And I don't think that there are some folks in some leadership that don't want to perceive themselves that way as being afraid to fight, but they are. You know. Yeah, they are. They yeah. are. They are. Okay. Um, you know, after a rant like that, LB, I get to be. Um, I feel like I need to take a little. I don't know, like a little vacation. So I'm thinking about where I should go, and I don't know. I'm, I'm open to new ideas. Are you sick of same old boring vacation? Tired of renting house at beach? Why not go someplace new and exciting? Why not take family adventure to Belarus? Hi, I'm Yagivni Progosian of Wagner Group. When I want to take break, even in middle of military coup, I always have charming holiday time in Belarus. Whether I'm in primeval forest of Bolovskaya Pushka, Babrusk Fortress in Mogilev Oblast, or 10th floor walk up in downtown Minsk, where I am right now enjoying scenic view of brick wall, Belarus truly has it all. One more thing, women in Belarus are most beautiful in the world. How beautiful are they? They are so beautiful. There is city named, and I not make this up, Brest. On subject of chicken, I might have been Putin's chef, but I'm your travel advisor. Belarus is best place on earth, better than where you are right now, and certainly better than that dump Moscow. Belarus, like Russia, but pretty. And now, back to the show. Oh, Chunk, 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 Chunk. Just, <laughs> I love him so. Speaking of Chunk, I, he's going to join us on the after hours tonight. Oh, good, because I got to go move things. Yeah. And I know, you're moving, you're moving. But there is going to be an after hours, which I forgot to announce. <laughs> Okay, but Chunk is going to be there. We'll talk about this video and more. I want to get to our guest who's been waiting patiently and and has been laughing a little bit, so it's good. I, oh, I think good, it's okay. I think he's not he's not too bored. Um, he's he's a Ukraine expert um, who was the past chair of the Ukrainian American Bar Association. He's written for the Hill and for SEPA, and um, I've had him on my podcast a couple of times, and I learned so much from him about the history of Ukraine vis-a-vis -vis Russia, and and he really helped me learn about this stuff and inspired me to write about it as much as I have. Um, and I feel so much smarter from having, uh, what's the word it, by osmosis, uh, picked up some of his, his knowledge base. So, uh, very excited to welcome Victor Rudd to the Victor program. Rudd! Victor, how are you? I'm okay. Thank you very, very much for the invite. Nice yeah. yeah. You. Um, so we were talking a lot, uh, b before, um, you know, before the show started and, uh, last week, we did not um, have a show. We had to, because um, certain people were moving and needed to move their stuff, I think. So, uh, <laughs> um, and while the show would have been happening, Progosian was doing whating whatever he was doing uh, in Russia. And 
you know, of course, everyone asks me what's going on with Prigozhin. Like, I, I don't know. You know, I try to figure it out. And you read all the experts. People were saying one thing Friday night, something else Saturday morning, something else Saturday afternoon. So, uh, what is your take on what happened with that? Let's start with there. Sure. Well, you know that little uh, clip you just showed about Belarus. We we don't know where Prigozhin is. Number one, the scuttlebutt is he was supposed to go there. Um, and let's understand as well, this is not a conflict or a dust up between, you know, good and evil. These are, these are scorpions in a bottle yeah. and there are more scorpions and adult and baby scorpions all over the place. Uh, and the two, uh, protagonists are not just, uh, Putin and Prigozhin. It's not surprising that something like this would happen, although I, I caveat that statement by saying nobody really knows exactly what happened or the reason for it. But the ostensible reasons, of course, are that uh, Prigozhin got uh, bent out of shape. He wasn't getting the uh, support that he felt that he needed and basically complaining uh, Russia should have been a lot more effective and a lot tougher and more rapacious and more genocidal than it was already in Ukraine. Uh, one thing that we learned, or at least those people who would not believe it, but apparently have learned that as a matter of fact, this was not a private army. This was a state paid, state funded uh, operation. And I'm not going to go into the details globally of where the Wagner group has operated. Um, and it was not a coup. Uh, that's the way, uh, as a matter of fact, before I came on, I was listening to CNN and uh, Aaron Burnett characterized this as a coup. Uh, not, not specifically with that purpose in mind, but that's the terminology she used. This was more of a, a military mutiny uh, than a coup. Prigozhin never, ever, to my knowledge, articulated uh, anything against Putin. He didn't in the past. It was always the military leaders. And uh, he could never have been so foolhardy, uh, have been so foolhardy as to uh, contemplate, uh, you know, taking over the Kremlin, kicking out Putin, so on and so forth. We're hearing uh, everybody's jumping on the bandwagon, and it's amazing. It's almost like a dog whistle. Uh, well, you know, this shows how weak Putin is, and so on and so forth. Well, yeah. Uh, where have you been? Why do we think uh, that uh, only now Putin is weak? Uh, and yeah, you could make the conclusion, you know, one country with 140 million being able to best uh, a multitude of countries that account for maybe two thirds at least of the world economy, where Russia only has the economy of New York City so how could a weak Putin have done that? And doesn't this really show now that he is weak? Well, Russia only accomplished what it did because of our basically delinquencies, our fecklessness and the like. I could go into, you know, ongoing details about that. But my biggest concern, I think, is that um, there's an undercurrent, some of it is articulated, some of it is, is there, but it's palpable, and is uh, we're apoplectic about 
lack of stability. Heaven forbid things go south in Russia. Uh, that uh, you know they're uh, they've got a bunch of nukes, and that is not what we want. And uh, one of my concerns is that uh, uh, that is a bias. It's built into our cultural and our political DNA, where we want stability, we want to be able to manage a situation, and we are not ones that are known for sufficient strategic acumen in order to constructively take advantage of what could be uh, stability and upset within the Russian Federation. Let's understand as well that uh, the Russian Federation, it's, uh, it's an empire. Yeah. Uh, the inner core of, let's say, three concentric circles. The second one was the Soviet Union. And the third, the outer one that people recognize more or less as an empire, of course, are the countries of Eastern Europe. Well, that's gone down. That's fallen apart. The Soviet Union has fallen apart. And nothing terrible has happened after those two events, right? Uh, and sooner or later, uh, I think uh, it's going to come to pass that uh, these tensions are going to grow within uh, the Russian Federation. You can't keep looking. The, the, the countries, it's the largest country in the world. One third of Asia is occupied by what we call Russia. If you take Russia's border and you stretch it around the equator, it'll go around the planet one and a half times. That's a big country, right? The war against Ukraine, and I'm wandering a little bit here and I'm moving away from your question, Greg, but I'll go back. That's okay. The war against Ukraine is not a war for territory. Russia does not need more territory. Right. It seems that way because you have you know, Russian-occupied territory and Ukrainian territory, and you have the battle lines, and you have the arrows on all the maps, that on, on all the you know, programs and everything else that you see. But it's, it's really the humanity on that territory that Russia wants and needs, which, of course, is the entirety of Ukraine. And why is that? Well, because it can't have that example across the border as an example for its own populations simply because right. Ukrainians and Russians are diametric you know diametric opposites maybe one of these things one of the things that the war has brought forth to academics and uh, politicians and laymen alike in the west is despite everything that we've been learning for a century it's it's just been friggin long that uh, you know you don't go about bombing raping and obliterating people who are the same as you. You don't do that. That's true. And the fact, of course, uh, is that it's not. They're two opposite things. Our approach, I think, to, uh, to, to the war in Ukraine is a little backwards. It's, it's bizarre that uh, we predicate our support on if Ukraine is doing badly. Or poor, or, or or doing well. Mm. Well, you would think that it would be the opposite. If somebody who is attacked is doing poorly, you would think you would rush in with more support than of doing well. Well, with Ukraine, it's been the opposite, right? It's only after the expanded invasion last year, when Ukraine was able to repulse the Russians, that people said, "Oh well, maybe we can win." So let's support Ukraine, right? And that's the same kind of uh, 
uh, thing that we are hearing right now. Well, Putin must be weak because of Prigozhin and what happened with the attempted mutiny. Well, listen, so maybe we really ought to support Ukraine. Well, you, you can't make those decisions on whether or not Ukraine is doing well or doing poorly. I, you, you have to make your strategic decisions based on something a lot more than that. And I'm frankly kind of surprised myself when you look at the, the, the multiplicity of systems, armaments, and everything else that the Ukrainians have to learn and master and maintain and have spare parts for and know how to repair these things, never mind how to use them. If you throw that hardware you know, on any other country in the last minute, and for them to do as well as they did, I I, I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah. But that still is, Greg. You know, all of that. That's that's the micro stuff. Yeah, that's micro. The 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 big picture is, who cares? So what? Right. That's that's the real issue here. And as as I exchanged in our little colloquy before this, before we went on, it's um, it, it's not just the forces of, of light versus you know, the forces of darkness, although the darkness, it's, I'll tell you, it is a lot worse than what we hear and the reporting that we get. Yeah, it is. I can't quantify it, but I'll tell you, it, it, it is 10 times, it is 20 times worse. Do you think we're going to ever hear about this, Victor? Do you think I'm sorry? Do you think we're ever going to really hear about it? Do you think we're going to... I, I, it's shocking to me we haven't started the the, the, the war crimes haven't really it, it feels like there's all this talk around it and there's nothing is kind of progressing. There's a lot of yeah, there, there's a lot of talk about it. You know, you're you 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 know, it's like uh, you know, hurting cats. And uh, I there, there's a lot of on the war crimes and the like there's a lot of uh, bona fide interest and concern. Uh, and and it'll it'll come out, I think. I think it'll come out. Okay. Uh, but in terms of what's necessary for a democratic society, whether it's in the United States or in Europe or elsewhere, you have to have an informed electorate. If you don't have an informed electorate, electorate, then you know what happens. Nothing happens, right? And we are just so poorly uh, informed. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, I think, knee-jerking about Taiwan and China, for example, as the preeminent threat, which long-term probably is true. But look at it this way. Look at it the way the Chinese would look at it, or Iran, or any other, you know, uh, tyrant wannabe. They have, they see a country, Ukraine, which happens to be the largest country in Europe. Okay, so I'll, I'll throw that in just to give you a sense of perspective, and so that people don't say like, uh, "Who the hell was it?" Uh, uh, oh, yeah, it was. Uh, Tucker Carlson said, well, Ukraine is some little country. It's like Senegal in Africa. Well, no, it's the biggest country in Europe, yeah. uh, just, just as a reference point. When we strip it of its nuclear arsenal and force Ukraine to give the weaponry to Russia. Which happened in what, 1996? Is that when 94, it was? 94. Okay. And then we required that Ukraine destroy its conventional weapon. We did both. Yeah. Then what does that say about our strategic acumen in terms of doing something like that? And some of those missiles, by the way, without the nuclear warheads, are the ones that have, you know, have been uh, uh, terrorizing Ukraine. But what does that say about nuclear nonproliferation? What does that say about, and our consequent behavior, our self-deterrence in light of 
what we perceive as a nuclear threat from Russia, uh, what does that say about nonproliferation? And you, you think North Korea is going to give up its nukes? Everybody under the sun is going to try to get a nuke because they can see what a nuclear-powered state can do and how it can intimidate even the yeah. United States, right? Yeah, yeah. So people look at that. You look at the fact that um, on this issue of uh, integrity, territorial integrity, sovereignty, and everything else, which is what World War II was all about, right? I mean, if anybody knows anything about history and wars, people certainly know about World War II. Well, okay, that's what it was for. Ukraine lost eight to nine million people. So if we don't take a stand, an effective stand with Ukraine now, what's our credibility with Taiwan? Taiwan is not an internationally recognized state. It's not a member of the UN. Ukraine is a founding member of the UN. We haven't recognized, we withdrew recognition from Taiwan in 1979. So where's our credibility in terms of uh, dealing with China over Taiwan? People will say, well, yeah, but Taiwan doesn't have what Ukraine has. Taiwan's got computer chips. Okay, well, Ukraine has potato chips. And I don't mean that jocularly. I'm talking saying about food, right? Ukraine yeah. generates food for a for tens of millions of people yeah. in Africa and in the Middle East. Yeah. Uh, the, the repercussions are tremendous. They're they're huge. And I, I just I'm concerned that when we go back to the issue of an educated, informed electorate, that that information doesn't come out. It just doesn't come out. This looks like uh, another war. And, uh, uh, well, Russia, yes, it has the largest nuclear force in the world. How did that come about? Well, guess what? It came about because we love agreements. We love yeah. militarized agreements. Let's, let's have another negotiation. Let's have another contract. Well, this is what your contracts and your agreements have led to, that you now, the largest country, or, or, or know, we're not the largest country in the world, but we, were the, we had the nuclear monopoly after World War II, we are now really the ones who are intimidated by Russia as a nuclear power. And, you know, where where's the Western technology? It's in the nuclear weaponry and the other weaponry. You know, it's another thing that we've done that was dumb and stupid through the ages. So all in all, um, you know, what happened with Prigozhin, it's interesting. It is, uh, I don't think it is going to weaken Putin as much as people think. Uh, this guy celebrates Stalin's birthday. He's not stupid. He's vicious. And I think what you'll see is a solidification of his power and his control, certainly internally. I think everything goes now. He's going to, he can do a general mobilization and he's going to justify it as, look, look what could have happened. And uh, I'm, I'm not very uh, optimistic that, uh, that we're going to be able to exploit it well enough. Well, okay, so they just passed this resolution in the Senate about um, that an attack, uh, if, if Russia blows up the nuclear plant in Ukraine, yeah, that's considered an attack on NATO per the Senate resolution. That seemed like weird time. There's a lot of other shit going on last week, but right. that, that piqued my interest. And Zarina Zabriskie, our friend who's been on the show, this show a, a bunch of times, has been screaming about that nuclear plant for, uh, you know, oh, yeah. two years now. Oh, my God, yeah. they're going to blow it up. They're going to blow it up. 
And, uh, you know, she's terrified that this is what's going to happen. So if they blow it up, does that open the floodgates to NATO? And then what happened? I mean, uh, should NATO go in in the event that that happens? Like, what do you what do you think would happen if and when something happens with that nuclear plant? We know Russia done it. Well, the most consequential thing that you just said or asked is if we know that Russia did it. Well, that's the first uh, sand in the gears because there is going to be such a well-prepared run-up to that. Yeah. That it's going to be marketed as a... Uh, false flag operation by the the Ukrainians themselves trying to blame the Russians to induce the West to do something. And that alone in democratic societies, I think, and I'm concerned, is going to toss up so much black and so much dust that I think we're going to be paralyzed. I think if there was ever a time and I wrote, I wrote up a piece on this. If there was ever a time that I think we could have dipped this in the bud is immediately in the first days. We, we didn't do that. We packed up our embassy and left. But then at least after uh, the, the mass murders and the, and the genocides that occurred in Bucha and Irpin uh, three or four months later, then NATO, NATO does not have to have an attack against one of its member countries in order to act in unison, right? It doesn't have to do that. They can move in. And as a humanitarian mission, at least to provide air cover and the like for humanitarian corridors and aid, could have done it. I, I, I think the credibility and the interim effect that we could have had with you know, beating the NATO drum, I think Putin has dismissed it. I, I mean, he, I, blamed, he blames NATO anyway. So we might as well just do it. I mean, the, uh, uh, and I don't, I don't know. You know, it's one thing to go in, send NATO troops into Ukraine to help defend it. It's quite another to invade Russia, which is not what anybody, nobody wants Russia. You guys can keep it. No, no, it's no. We're, we're not talking about that. But, but, yeah. but, but look, look, look how this works. Look how the mind game works. You know, the occupation of the brain. You have a fact on one end of the spectrum. You have information about the fact you have knowledge of the information. Then you have a, a, a stage of assessment. You have a judgment and a conclusion. And then you make a decision to do or not to do something. That entire spectrum is what the Russians play on with maskerovka, uh, desinformatia, agitatia, provocatia, all that other stuff. But the most effective tool has been very, very simple, and it works wonderfully with us, particularly on NATO, is you accuse and you demand and you threaten. NATO is a head game. Putin knows, as Stalin knew, that NATO was not ever intended to be an offensive yeah. Uh, alliance against Russia, right, or the Soviet Union. They know, Putin knows the temper of the times. He knows that the Western electorate in Europe and in the United States wouldn't tolerate anything remotely um, 
resembling an offensive operation by NATO against uh, uh, Russia. But look what this constant harping has done. It has, in our mind, it has conditioned us, it has established reflex control. We are convinced that NATO's involvement is a red line. We are convinced that NATO attacked Ukraine, that Putin attacked Ukraine because it was afraid that NATO, that Ukraine was going to join NATO. NATO is, it's a dragon theory that tyrants want to have in order to control the fortress. You tell the populace, there's a dragon outside the gates. I can do and I must do whatever I want to keep the dragon out. Mm. I was talking with a uh, top uh, former retired person in the hierarchy a little while ago, and the rebuttal was, well, Victor, I really don't believe you when you tell me that uh, NATO is, uh, that, that Putin is really afraid of NATO. It's not afraid of NATO because look how many divisions they have arrayed against. Look at all the hardware and all that. And my answer is, well, yeah, precisely. It's part of the state set. You know, that, that's, what's, that's what you drag out on, on, onto the stage. That's the way you set it up. Putin is not afraid that NATO will attack him. But he is afraid to engage NATO if NATO went in. Mm-hmm. And I think that an internet, I, I don't care whether it's NATO, whether it is, heaven forbid that the UN is effective for something in our lives. But that if there were an international uh, effort to provide security for that plant, and if it goes up, it's going to make Chernobyl and Fukushima look like child's play. And uh, when people argue that, well, you know, it's really going to affect Russia as well because you can't control where the wind blows. Russia doesn't give a shit where the wind blows. So it blows up his troops as well. So what, right? And what's going to happen? What, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm concerned that uh, unless really, really double down and demonstrate resolve and political will, um, I, I am as concerned uh, as you know your your other speaker was about uh, about what can happen there. Yeah, with with as a Parisian plan, they they mined it and they mined it for a purpose. Right, people aren't aware of what happened. Look at the report. Look, I'll give you an example. I mentioned to you uh, throwing those dust up in the ears and sand in the gears, uh, dust in the air. Uh, the dam that was uh, that was uh, blown up by Russia on the main river bisecting Ukraine. It's like the Mississippi, the Dnipro River. That damage and construction was horrific. It was horrendous. Yeah. yeah. And the response, the way it's reported here is there was a break in the dam. Well, yeah, there was a break of the dam. Well, that's like calling, uh, you know, a bullet to the head, calling it a headache. It, yeah. it was it, it, it was a Russian destruction, intentional destruction of the dam for, you know, further downstream destruction. So they did it there, and uh, they can very well do it. Uh, uh, they they could very well do it then, and it'll be it'll just be disastrous. But you know who's not afraid? As you move closer and closer to the battlefield, to the countries who have dealt with the Kremlin, the closer you move to the battle, the closer you move to the potential catastrophe 
the less afraid those countries are and the more certain the more certain they are of what has to be done the further you move away we're about as far away as we can be right well we're yeah. sometimes you know some of the commentators here are near apoplectic about it all but it's reversed going closer to the scene so you really have to ask yourself well why are we paying a little bit more attention to these people why aren't we taking advantage of of that experience that assessment and that analysis we really never have and we now have what we have uh going back to your first uh you know leadoff question on uh, Prigozhin, uh i don't know what's going to happen uh but he's not uh, for this earth uh for a long time and it could be, I, uh, I, like, I thought one of them be, yeah I was like, one, one or the other is going to be gone in a couple of weeks. Yeah. That's yeah. right. I was like, when that happened, I'm like, yeah, one or the other one of them. Not that it was a coup, but yeah. it's not, Pergotion's not going to last, or maybe Patrick Shev is behind him and people are behind him, then Putin's not going to last. Like someone's, this was either a, I don't know. It, it, you can't. I, I got afraid for a second. I was like, what if he dies today? And we have this lovely fake ad planned. Do I run it out of respect for the dead? And then I thought, no, he's a fucking butcher and he fucked with the 2016 election and fuck him. We're going to make fun of him even when he dies. Yeah. And, and you you may never know. All, all you're going to know is mm -hmm. you haven't heard of him. You haven't seen him. Where is he? <laughs> he's in Belarus, which is and, the equivalent and, of, you know, yeah. that's a farm upstate where you send your dog, right? <laughs> and you know, where he is may be a mystery like Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. Right? So you yeah. uh, it, it, apparently is was jigged in, uh jigged with the concrete into uh one of the lands. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's uh he's somewhere between the two goalposts at the uh in the football stadium here in the in the New Jersey Meadowlands. I think he went through a wood shepherd and he's fertilizing something somewhere. I don't know. Uh, no, I think it's I think it's like the I'm pretty it was uh who was it? it was uh Luciano's godson, uh Costello's kid. Yeah. Eric Trump? No, I'm kidding. Um, no. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I wanted I wanna change tack a little bit because um Ukraine has been able to fend off these I mean obviously I don't wanna I don't wanna downplay the the horrors of the genocidal atrocities that have been committed. But Ukraine has managed to be, I think, more successful than a lot of people thought with the, the occupying forces. So what's the best outcome here that we can hope for? And what, what should the U.S. do? What should NATO do? Well, if you're Joe Biden, what do you do to end this thing? Because it feels like Russia is also, they are weakened right now. Um, if, if NATO was ever going to invade, now's the time because the whole army is in Ukraine and they're half dead. So why, why, yeah, why, why do we think that their nuclear forces are? I mean, I mean, you don't want to roll the dice on it, but why do you think their nuclear forces aren't in any better shape than the conventional forces? I, that's exactly. I've been saying this for weeks. Like it's technology from nineteen fucking forty. They, they, you go to Moscow and like the brickwork is all like they're too drunk to do brickwork properly. They can. And uh, Arthur Snow was on my podcast a couple weeks ago, and he was saying, like, tactical nuclear weapons, which are the kind that they said they're, they're thinking about using, the more tactical and surgical nukes are, apparently, I'm told, but the 
more complicated the technology, which means the more likely it is that they'll fuck up and not be able to do it. The, the North Koreans launch shit into the ocean all the all the time, you know. So I agree. I think it's all fucking bluster. Look, Greg, Greg you asked a question. Uh, you know what, what what should be done? Number one. Yeah. Uh, Biden made uh, a, a very, very strong statement, repeated several times, about pr uh, protecting every square inch of NATO territory, right? That is a stand taken on the basis of principle and practicality because it touches upon and it controls deterrence credibility on the part of NATO. We have a lot of backfilling to do because we basically capitulated and tossed the rule book out the window when we essentially accepted Russian annexation of Crimea yes. in 2014. Right? Such a if you're talking about a violation of international law and the rules-based order and everything else that people talk about outside of human death, outside the issues of war crimes, atrocities, and genocide. If you take that area of international law off the table and talk about international law in principle, territorial sovereignty, and so on and so forth, we gave up the ghost in 2014. Yeah. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you. I'm like, it feels like Crimea, where we failed, was Crimea, where everybody failed, was around uh, Crimea. It was 2014, with what happened there. Our response to it all was ridiculous, just put, you know, Obama wagging a finger in, in Putin's face while he's smirking at him. Like, it, it's, the whole thing was absurd, right? Um, and a tragedy, and it just feels like that was the, you know, it was like, okay, now I see how you respond to this. Um, I can take the whole country. And and what happened since then, I'll, I'll return to your question as well. I'm sort of bouncing around a little bit, Greg. Uh, what happened uh, in Crimea and then subsequently the invasion of parts of eastern Ukraine was, was never really reported. I mean, if, you know, what's going on now, it's the same human misery and bloodletting yeah. and, and human horrors that have been going on for eight years but never reported now granted now at a much larger scale but it was the same stuff but it was off the radar and then all of a sudden everybody surprised in february right so my point in, in sort of going back to that is uh anybody who thinks that well let's negotiate and uh, reach some sort of agreement well, let me tell you, every single issue you would negotiate, all of those agreements are already in place and they've been in place for decades and generations since World War II. Every single yeah. issue, reparations, punishment for genocide, uh, territory, uh, territorial integrity, everything else has been in place. Now is the process, now is the moment of enforcement of all of those past agreements. Uh, this, this is what happens when those agreements are breached. So don't tell me that let's have another agreement yeah. because right. you're going to have what we have. Yeah. Well, uh, you're going to have the same thing all over again. You're going to have to enforce it. Don't run away from the enforcement responsibility for all of the agreements that have been applauded and that you reached. And now, ironically, you're doing you're trying to reach an agreement because you're intimidated by Russia that has the nukes 
and they have the nukes and they they achieved the nukes because you had all of the arms control agreements that made you now second and made Russia first. And how many agreements and how many times do you have to make the same mistake over and over again? There's so how do you enforce it? What is it beyond the sanctions? What, well, the, you enforcement, know? the enforcement is what you're doing right now. Russia breaches and you enforce it with the military assistance and the other assistance you need to get back to the status quo ante, get back to where everything was before. We can't seem to understand it. The example I was going to raise, I don't know, Greg, whether maybe I raised this in another, uh, in, in an earlier uh, podcast or writing with you, but um, uh, Fred Coleman back in the 1980s was the uh, Moscow correspondent for Newsweek magazine when we still had Newsweek as a magazine together. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he he writes about uh, going uh, to, and if I mention this to you, you know, cut me short. It, it's fine to repeat. It's totally he, fine. He mentions uh, a visit to the Soviet embassy where Anatoly Dobrynin was the longtime Soviet ambassador there through four, uh, no, not, I think it was four, three or four administrations, and this would have been the successive one. Uh, he visits them in January or February after the presidential election. And he asks the secretary, well, is uh, Mr. Ambassador looking forward to meeting the new president? Because that's what happens. The president comes in and meets all the ambassadors. And the answer is, well, yes, Mr. Coleman, the ambassador is looking forward just the way the teacher is looking forward to the first day of kindergarten. <laughs> the same, never mind the arrogance. The arrogance isn't the point. The point is that was probably the best encapsulation and characterization of our delinquency and not being able to learn from our experience Every administration comes in thinking they can do better than the prior one. They don't capitalize on a long history, and it's cyclical. If you can't learn from your experience, you never grow up. Yeah. And if you can't learn from your experience, you cannot project and plan and anticipate the future. You have no strategic acumen whatsoever if you can't extrapolate from the past. That is our singular failure with Russia and the Soviet Union. And China today, everybody's beating the, the drum about China. Where the hell were you when we, quote unquote, opened up China to the world, right? We wanted a cheaper frying pan. You have it, baby. And now look what you've got. You want to go and, and, and get your medications at the CVS? Hey, tomorrow, no more medications. Where yeah. was the brilliance yeah. in doing that? And the very same people who are pounding away about China, and I understand China very well, but ironically, if you were to put it back way back when with uh, Nixon and Kissinger, they would have been beating the drum to uh, open, quote unquote, open up China, fund them, transfer technology. And we did, before that, we did it with the Soviet Union. We established yeah. economic base for the Soviet Union, and we are reaping the consequences. We were for generations. We just don't learn. And we're not interested in learning. 
and yet we're always you know, scratching our heads wondering well now what the hell do we do now <clears throat> you, you don't achieve anything by being purely uh by purely responding and reacting we don't have the strategic acumen except in very very narrow instances with a very small number of individuals uh, i think biden is uh I, I think biden would have accelerated i think his instincts are good i think he would have accelerated his assistance because i do think he understands how all of this extrapolates on a global scale but i think he's being held back yeah i uh jake sullivan on the national security council yeah i think you're right and a couple of other people but i think his instincts are good yeah it's it's tough it's a tough it's a tough needle to thread because he's got a first nato was in tatters he had to put that all together which he did in like a fortnight right after trump spent four years trying to break it up uh even boris johnson kissing the biden ring at the time and you know try to hurt them without you know starting world war three which everyone's terrified of uh i don't think that would really happen but um, would not happen greg that that excuse me for interrupting that's exactly one of the points that i had in mind when i was talking about yeah look at the approach the thinking and the uh, assessment of the nations who had to deal with this not theoretically right. not academically right uh and like yet, what you're talking like like finland like poland like like Finland. The, i'm talking about yeah. Baltic countries i'm talking about moldova poland. like yeah yeah uh georgia yeah Okay. And yet, uh, you know, sometimes we learn Fiona Hill. She wrote a piece in the New York Times op-ed piece in 2004 in January. I, I told you this captioned, uh, uh, let's uh, stop criticizing Putin and start helping him. Okay. This was his war against Chechnya. Okay. Chechnya had signed a bilateral international peace treaty with Russia and Russia crossed and invaded and destroyed well, Fiona Hill now has learned a little bit, and she. Yeah. Is I also. Right. Excuse me. It wasn't for show. Yeah, I did. I actually yeah. don't know what I knew about that 2004 article. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, we yeah. Day one. V- Victor comes with all the receipts. He comes with all the receipts. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and he's right about things from from way ba- you know from way back, and uh, and said before the show began he's like ah i hope this doesn't come off as i told you so i told you so but you're not coming off as i told you so i told you so. no it, yeah it's not, a little... a, not at all i think you you, you should you could take more bows not that it you know congr- you're, you're right and everything's horrible there uh so it's not it's it's a mixed bag but um you know i wish more people had listened to you but on the other hand i think that your you know your work is so important and and uh you know, I'm talking personally now. I learned so much, and I think people watching this have now learned um, about it. You know, kind of the whole the whole Ukraine history vis-a-vis Russia and the Soviet Union. You know, one of the things that you taught me was that, um, you know, really the U.S. tends to look at the Soviet Union and Russia as one and the same, and it's fucking it's not. The Soviet Union was an empire. The Russian Federation is the remains of that empire. It's still an empire. Um, it's not the same thing as just Russia. And, you know, what Putin wants to do is make that empire stronger and expand it. Because if you go back in Russian history, most of their wars are wars of expansion. You know, they're, they're trying to oh, take yeah. more territory. So 
This is all important stuff to know. And they're and they're doing the same thing now, you know. It's been the same since fifteen, what, forty seven when Ivan the Terrible became the first czar. Uh they live under a tyrant and they just try to take more land. That's just what they do. It's just their thing. Well, I have one I have a I have my question. So I'm gonna okay. ask it. Victor, since I have him here. So this is a question I ask folks that have that know of gluten or study, you know, the contemporary Russia. So if there was a choice, just in your opinion, if you don't want to weigh in, that's fine. Uh, if there was a if 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 Putin had a choice, uh, choice A is um, you get to have the Soviet Union back. That great it all comes back together. It's all this thing. But you have to take, actually take only the statesman's salary that that is reported to you. Or choice B, you get to have something, you know, a small little whatever, you know, maybe rump a state. Of, yeah, a little, a little state. Uh, but you can keep all the money that all of your oligarchs have been pillaged, you know, all of it. You get to have as much money as you can do. All of your stuff that you're doing, you know, and go wage your mercenary wars in, in Africa. Go go grab all of this shit that you want, all the natural resources out of Syria. Do, do, do your thing your best you can, but you get to have all that money. Um, which choice do you think you take? This this is a question directed to whom? To you. To you. He gets if to I keep his mafia. No, if it's, Putin had a choice. If Putin had the choice, he could keep his mafia and keep all of the spoils, he could keep his fifty percent, right? But have a tiny little territory. Or he could have the whole Soviet Union could come back and have all that territory. You know, everybody says he just wants the Soviet Union back together, but he'd have to live off of I don't know, two hundred and ten thousand dollars a year. Look, it, uh, it, it would be the money, and it's interesting, you know. It would ask, be the money. That's yeah, right. You know, it's interesting to, to, to right. ask that, that, that question, and I, I, I wish it were, uh, you know, it would be interesting if it was presented that way in real life, but unfortunately it won't, right? I know it won't be. It's more about there was a, you know, there been there were years and years during the Trump era of pundits and people coming on talking about Putin, and saying what he really wants, but we don't understand anything. He wants the Soviet Union back together, and this is all a little, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, no, this is the wealthiest man in the world, and he hides it. This is this is a man. This is the head. Of, this is mob boss. He doesn't give a fuck about the Soviet Union. He wants what Ukraine. He wants the resources, uh, but so that he can rape and pillage them and keep more money. So if he was given a choice, well, I think the money. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. I, I would have. But I would add a twist to it. He, you know, he wants, as all tyrants do, they want the money. They want, but, but, but it's also an issue of control and of power. And he has to quash. He has to quash and control Ukraine in order to dodge the bullet on it. And by the way, talking about NATO, well. If he controls Ukraine, then guess what? He has more country. He has more NATO countries on "quote unquote" his border than mm. before, right? Okay. So where is this ostensible fear on his part 
of NATO. Where is the sphere of NATO with Finland now joining and bordering Russia? The, the, the whole, you know, again, I, I'm diverting away from your question only because it sparks this thought in my mind, again, that uh, NATO is, it, it's it's red line. No, it's not a red line at all. It, it's all BS. Yeah, but, it's BS. But we hobble ourselves with that conviction, and that's where the problem is. He's been also speaking of BS. He's been saber rattling about the nuclear weapons for twenty years now, so yeah. that's probably BS too. Um, okay, uh, we got to move on to the next topic. Victor, do you want to hang around or do you have to go? Sure. No, no. I, uh, I, uh, I'm enjoying the party actually. Okay. Good. Okay. Every, uh, the audience loves you. We're getting good, good comments over there. So yeah, you, yeah. Got, you got a lot of love from the audience. We're gonna. <laughs> I, if I have to bail on you guys, I apologize. This is like the one night I can't go for for as long as sometimes we go. But we're gonna we're gonna run through this fast. We're gonna run through these things fast. Yeah. Do, right, do five, five minutes. We'll do five minutes for the next two. Okay. Five minutes for the next two. Let's go. Okay. Number four. Trump behaving badly. Oh my God. There's the tape of him bragging. Uh, you know, look, look. Look, look, here, here, here's this, look, look what Iran, look, Millie wrote this about how we should invade Iran. And then these cackling, horrible women in the background. He's basically committing a like espionage act crime on tape. Uh, it's really awful. And uh, yeah, there it is. And that happened where? Did it happen in Florida where, where Alien Cannon is? It did not. You know where it happened? In New Jersey, motherfuckers. Yeah. yeah. I want. I tweeted, and 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 Elmo let my tweet go out for once. I said, oh. please, oh please, oh please, let if let New Jersey be what takes him down. Uh, yes. <laughs> this is what we want. There's also the comments in Miles Taylor's uh, book that's coming out about how, uh, and I talked about this on my pause, so I won't belabor it. Him, Trump as president, talking about his sexual fantasies with his daughter to such yeah. a degree that the chief of staff had to reprimand him and be like, sir, uh, maybe we shouldn't talk about your daughter in sexual terms now. Uh, so that's Trump behaving badly. I don't even like, does this even rate anymore? Is this even news at this point? Like it's, it's awful and horrible that we have this guy that, uh, um, you know, he's, he's going to probably be the GOP candidate, whether or not he's in prison and uh, a third of the country thinks he's swell. Um, Victor, I have not heard your take on this. So what do you think about all this stuff? It is. <laughs> it's a tragedy. It is sad. All joking aside. It yeah. is. Yeah. It is beyond. It's beyond horrific. Yeah. You know, that such a nation founded on the principles that we did would uh, have as a candidate the again as as he, he probably I guess he probably will be and it's even it's even worse I guess that the the, the fan club isn't swayed the, the, the more crimes the more convictions the more bad stuff, that is proven, and I'm not talking about just you know loose talk. I'm talking about right. proof. at a certain point you got to accept a court's verdict, right? 
that uh, the more there is, the more support there will be. What does that really mean? What does that say? It's, uh, it's. I don't know that I can articulate anything more than say it is. It is so. It is so horrifying. If you go and if if you talk to, uh, you know, countries uh, elsewhere around the world, uh, or at least you know, I, I normally don't talk like with the man on the street. If I if I go somewhere, you know, my my talk with the man on the street somewhere. Let's say I'm in Germany will be, you know, the cab driver, right? Otherwise, or, or the concierge, but otherwise it's for meetings and conferences. So I'm not really dealing with the common folk too much. Uh, but uh, if, if if I were to, uh, to do that, I, I think I'd hear the same thing that I hear from everybody else. Yeah. It, it's just unbelievable. It's just People are just scared of we're that. We're and, and we're a threat now. And, um, that's a scary thing. Yeah. Okay. We can move on. We don't need to talk about Trump anymore. Fuck Trump. Right. Fuck Trump. Okay. This is the last topic, and we're going to bang through this because it's a lot of reading, unfortunately. Um, there's this uh, Moore. M-O-O-R is the, is the um, one of the cases decided this week. This is the one that said that the independent uh, state legislatures could not just do whatever the fuck they wanted and be like, yeah, I know that we voted for Biden, but we're going to give it to Trump anyway. The Supreme Court was like, nah, they can't, state legislatures, ISL, can't do that. And everyone sort of was celebrating. Um, but in in Slate, uh, Richard Hassan wrote a piece saying that there's a time bomb buried there. He wrote that this week. My man, Moscow Never Sleeps on the Prevail Substack wrote in December of 2020, Three and a half years ago? Is it really that long ago? Yes. Okay, I'm reading this. This is Moscow Never Sleeps here. 20 years ago, which is actually 23 years ago, when Gore and Bush were slugging it out in Florida over hanging chads, a team of young conservative lawyers made their bones briefing a loaded and receptive red SCOTUS on reasons to stop the count in Florida and let W steal the election for Jesus and the unborn. The lawyers on that team are a who's who of Federalist darlings, names you will recognize. George Conway, John Roberts, Amy Coney Barrett, and Brett Michael Kavanaugh. Here is why Bush v. Gore is a landmine of a decision. Bush's minions made two parallel arguments which did not touch, but arrived at the same political end. First, they argued, Florida's differing electoral regulations across the state created a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, guaranteeing that a state afford all of its citizens the same voting rights. Second, the Florida Supreme Court interpreted Florida state election law incorrectly and therefore, they argued, under Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution, SCOTUS is empowered to overrule state Supreme Courts on state electoral law when presidential elections are involved. The first was a bad beat for Al Gore, and then there's a paragraph I'm going to skip. The second argument is where Kavanaugh et al. left a time bomb. <gasps> That's the same word that the guy used in Slate this week. Okay. That almost went off this year and may yet, if Trump's crack legal team can find a way to bring his evidence-free grievance to the Supreme Court. Spoiler alert, they did. This is where you want to read carefully. And if you practice a religion, have a couple prayers handy because this argument was a doozy. If it finds the right case to resurrect it, it did. It's game over for presidential elections that favor popular vote winners, i.e. the Democrats. 
The basic rule of small f federalism is that federal courts defer to state court interpretations of state law, except where a fundamental right in federal law would be affected. I'm now going to skip a big paragraph here of legal talk. In Bush v. Gore, Boof and Barf's team argued that another exception to the above rule should be whenever A, a state Supreme Court possibly misinterpreted state law, and B, a presidential election is on the line. We skipped the next paragraph here. So, Keg King Kavanaugh helped craft an argument that under Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the U.S. Constitution, governing how states may select their electors, any presidential election is automatically enough of a federal issue to require SCOTUS review of a state court's decision of state law affecting how electors are selected. This exception is a potential game changer. After all, every law a state makes regarding how its citizens vote in federal elections ultimately touches how it selects its presidential electors. Because the court had already found for Bush on the Equal Protection Clause issue, which alone threw him the electoral result he needed, there was no reason for the court to reach this question. Neither the liberals nor the centrists wanted to touch it, but that did not stop Scalia, that did not stop Scalia whose son worked for Bush team's law firm, Thomas, whose wife worked for the Bush campaign, and Rehnquist, that's the chief justice at the time, who always appreciated a practical joke played on someone else from filing a concurrence written by the chief justice, lauding the Article 2 argument and leaving it in writing for later use. I'm, it's called the Rehnquist concurrence. This is a thing you're going to hear now. Okay. Fast forward 20 years, actually 23 years, uh, in Democratic National Committee versus Wisconsin State Legislature, the pre-Barrett court ruled five to three to allow the GOP Wisconsin State Legislature over the Democratic governor's veto to cut short to election day the date on which mail-in ballots in order to be counted must be received. By itself, this case is an unremarkable and generally uncontroversial decision. Substantively, many battleground states such as Florida have identical deadlines, blah, blah, blah. So Bush generally and the Rehnquist concurrence on the Article 2 exception specifically had no reason to be mentioned or analyzed with approval in the Wisconsin case. So, and again, Moscow never sleeps writing so beautifully as he does. The rat-faced little prick did both. Knowing that within days he and his pod of federalist centrified judges would be seeing appeals from state Supreme Courts in Pennsylvania and North Carolina, the kegmeister wrote a concurrence to the main decision where he dredged up the treasure he asked Rehnquist to bury for him two and a half presidents ago. With less subtlety than he used on girls in high school, Brett Kavanaugh announced that as irrelevant as it might be in Wisconsin, Rehnquist's Bush comments might be useful in cases where the legislature and Supreme Court of a state were in conflict over electoral rules. Almost immediately, federal courts and state legislatures took the hint that they should try to use the Rehnquist concurrence in their rulings to direct cases to the Supreme Court, which may enshrine that poison pill into actual precedent. December of 2020, he wrote this. Okay. Now, two days ago, this is what he tweeted. I wish about this case, this Moore case, I wish this were anywhere near good news. Kavanaugh did not join Roberts and the humans <laughs> because he wants to preserve democracy. He wants ISL, that's the individual state legislatures, dead so that in two years the pigs will use the Rehnquist concurrence he and Roberts briefed for Bush v. Gore. Under the concurrence, the federal courts, i.e. SCOTUS, can decide to set aside state laws that relate to how presidents get electoral votes. 
if the Supremes is loaded, that's the ball game without having to worry about the legislative composition of half a dozen swing states. Since a nine-member court will be supermajority dog shit for another 20 years at least, unless we expand the court, guys. Kavanaugh's view protects the pigs with or without ISL, which could swing blue in any of those battleground states in the next decade or so. Kavanaugh, for all his faults, is a visionary. Once the little fuck explains to Alito and to Jitty's husband why his view is even more fascism-friendly than ISL, he'll have the five votes he needs to turn the concurrence into precedent, and for the next five, six presidential cycles, five judges nominated by men who swindled uh, their ways into the Oval are going to pick the president, which is why we need to expand the court wider than... And he wrote something so disgusting, I can't repeat it here. Okay. So, two things, and then Victor, and then I'm <laughs> So this is the coup. Yeah. This is the coup. And it's been going on. Because I don't think that the two Supreme Court justices were the three, no, there were two, that were actually on this Bush team are going to do what Katanji Jambrecht did and recuse themselves because they Oh, yeah, they're fucking so not. They don't even think anybody's going to catch it. I'm glad that... Moscow. Moscow did, but we are proper fucked. We are proper fucked. Unless we expand the court. Yeah, they're not going to expand the court. Okay. Victor just told us Americans never learn. <laughs> they don't learn. They don't know how to learn. Yeah. They don't know how to do anything, but they already know the way of being, know how to do the thing that I did already. I'm just going to keep doing that, and then just because I'm insane. That's that's our that's our thing. That's our gig. Yeah, it's oh, what we do. Boy. It's what we do. Oh, this is not. This is a dour show. It's now. It's fine, Victor. Victor, now, you're a lawyer. You went to law school. You went to a very good law school. Does this all make sense to you? Is it? Are you? Tell us something hopeful. <laughs> makes makes no sense, and uh, I'm not. I'm I'm not in the business of uh, selling snake oil hope. Oh boy! <laughs> oh, sorry, everybody. I think that's a really great quote. Actually. <laughs> oh no! Oh. All right. So, do you think you think what he said makes sense? The Rehnquist concurrence. This is a real thing. Uh, it sounds like a cop-out answer. I don't know. That's fine. No, it doesn't. It sounds like there's a lot to process, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a to. There's a a constant wave for me of like, holy crap! The calculation, right? The 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 long game that these folks have been playing is quite Soviet in nature. It's like it is. It's a. Uh, it's it's almost. Uh, it's almost. Some of it is, yeah. So, some of it you could say is smacks of that precedent. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Wow. Without the without the cool suits that they wore, you know, in, in the summer. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. The parachutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So, do, do, are we supposed to end on a? 
Are we supposed to add on a Victor? This has been great. Thank you so much for coming on because I know that you know you've been on the pod a couple times. I think people are thrilled to see you. It's always nice to put yes. face to voice and everything like that. And as always, I learned so much from you from your presence tonight. And I this is a late show. Yeah, it was like it'll be an hour. It's an hour and a half. You're you're here for two hours basically. So thank you for joining us. It was it was so great. Are you on Twitter at all? Do you ever go to your Twitter page? Uh, now and again, but I th there's no time. You know, if you go on Twitter, <laughs> then you go on Facebook, then you go on LinkedIn, then you go to the computer, then you go with the mess. You know, with with the phone, like. <laughs> It's not worth You'll get at least five more followers here. Uh, okay. So, um, and this is, I, I guess, th this is how we could end. I, I think, you know, first of all, uh, quick announcement. Um, we didn't even do, we didn't even bother with announcements. No. Uh, yeah, we're having an after hours. We're going to have it at nine. We'll do it at 9.45. Okay. 9.45. LB may or may not be there. Chunk will be there with me. It'll be fun. Um, I don't know what we're going to, we're going to be very, very not, you know, we're not going to talk about any, anything serious at all. Uh, you know, that's the first thing. And I had a lighthearted thing to end on. Of course it floated out of my mind. The okay. Floated out of my mind because that's it, it moved along. Like, it, well, it moved along like you, like me. Next time I see everybody, I will be somewhere else. Somewhere else. Um, Sayonara from every background everyone has been used to. Not this one. I've never been in this one. But um, so long, California. Um, you know, what's interesting is, yeah, you know, that I can't even go outside here, by the way, because it's smoky and weird. So uh, I don't know. The, my mother today referred to them as the... Um, what did she say? I should have written. I was driving. I would have written down because it was so funny. Like these stupid Canadian wildfire things. That's what, <laughs> something like that. It was like she was so put out by like like the Canadians are doing this on purpose or something. It's like this is yeah. the climate change thing. We haven't even talked about that. We'll, we'll do that. on a have a free picture on to get your thoughts on some of that. Thank yeah. you so much for coming. It was lovely. Oh, lovely. The 5-8 is hosted by me, Greg Oliar and LB, Stephanie Koff. Animation is by Chunk, at Chunkled. The music is My Spy by Howie King, the sum of all music. Please like, share, and subscribe here and on YouTube. To become a 5-8 member and support our show, go to the5-8.com. That's the F-I-V-E number 8.com. Join the party this weekend. We're your Friday night hang.